0: Hey everybody! Thanks for joining us for episode 319 of the of the Freelancer Show. Uh, today we're going to talk about building a better freelance business in 2019. Uh, today on the panel we have Eric Dietrich. Hi everybody. And Kai Davis. Hey there, folks. And I'm Jeremy Green. So uh, let's get started. Uh, Kai, you want to kind of kick us off with a little bit about you know what we're going to talk about here?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, uh, I figured since this is an episode that's coming out right around the time of the new year, one of the important things that we could talk about is consistent things we focused on in our businesses. We're working on focusing on in our businesses. And we recommend that you, dear listener, focus consistently on in your business over the coming year, not in sort of a frantic push at the start of the year, but habits or specific uh, uh, behaviors to build over the year in your business. It might be something like focusing on your self-care and saying like, hey, what's my self-care plan? It might be something like saying, hey, what's my budget for the year? Or it might be saying, hey, what should I be doing to get more clients? But it sort of all comes down to planning intentionally what you want your 2019 to look like for your business and then saying, well, okay, what sort of work along the way do I need to do month to month,
2: week to week to get there? This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you wanna self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io.
0: Do you have things that you are planning to do in 2019? (laughs) <laughs> either either new things question. or continuing of things that you've already been doing
1: sure so so one of the things that i personally do and it honestly tops the list even above the marketing advice i give people it's making sure you're reviewing your finances as a freelancer making sure that you're intentionally saying like hey what am i spending money on what am i paying myself what's my budget for my business i personally use you need a budget for this uh, i'm curious how uh, uh, the other panelists you know approach managing and reviewing their finances, one thing I always advocate is review your finances weekly, make sure you're on top of it and know what you're spending on. So if you know costs and expenses start to go up, you could see that ahead of time instead of suddenly being surprised by it in a quarterly review. How do you two approach financial planning in your business?
3: Um, so for me, it's kind of historically dependent on, I've got some different businesses that I've been involved with over the last four or five years. Um, When it was solo management consulting, usually i had always kept track of my books in Quicken, um, which is sort of like QuickBooks Junior, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was pretty easy for me to kind of each month go in and track by category, um, look at my profit and loss, uh, and keep track of things pretty simply. These days, running the content agency that I do, it's a little more involved because we have staff and we have something like 40 subcontractors involved. So there um, I've created dashboards um, with uh, the person who does our bookkeeping that we check in and we're looking at profit and loss each month. Um, We're also looking at kind of like a cash flow report, inflows and outflows, people that um, are, you know, timeliness of client payments. So to Mm -hmm. roll this up in general for what you might do in your business, however, like the term dashboard is a little bit, It might induce some buzzword fatigue, but create like a quick view that tells you what you need or want to know about your business. Like the simplest one is, you know, how profitable was I last month? Not like how much revenue did I take in, but like profit minus expenses, what are we talking about? Like what is Mm -hmm. my actual profitability of the business? And then from there, it's just kind of a question of continuing to think about what information at a glance would help you and just doing the work to get that information set up for you.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. One quick question I have, uh, where along your growth into an agency did you sort of take off the bookkeeper hat yourself and delegate it to that outside party? Since it's a hat I still wear myself as an independent practitioner, I'm curious where along your journey you delegated that.
3: That was, let's see, so we do content marketing and we had brought in a couple of authors to do stuff on a contract basis, but bringing in someone to do bookkeeping was the first thing I outsourced and I never looked back. I was so happy that I did that (laughs) and I say this as somebody who's kept our personal, like my wife and my personal finances books and uh, my own consulting business for years and years. But, um, as this grew, that was definitely like, it was mainly the sending out of invoices. So if we, if I were to look back, something like fresh books could have been a big help with this, even if we didn't hire someone to do it. Um, that wouldn't work for the agency now, but, um, that might be a good step that you look at um, that's somewhere between like bringing on someone to do it and saving mm-hmm. yourself time.
1: That's great. And Jeremy, how about yourself?
0: Uh, so this is an area that I could really honestly stand to improve in. I kind of have a lax set of processes around this. Um, mm-hmm. I do use bench.co for uh, bookkeeping uh, and I go in occasionally and kind of just review, you know, they have what's essentially a dashboard uh, where it'll show you, you know, year to date uh, revenue and profit. Um, And so I go in and, you know, occasionally we'll review, you know, what's happened in the last month or two uh, in there. Uh, Like keeping track of finances for me historically has kind of been a thing that correlates very directly to my feast or famine cycle. Uh, mm. and lately I've been oh. kind of on a feasting cycle. And so I tend to get a little bit more lazy about it because it doesn't, you know, it's not quite as, uh, dire of a, <laughs> of a circumstance, you know, and I, I don't feel the stress of,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Oh God, I, am I going to have enough this month, uh, to mm-hmm. make ends meet? And so it's easier to kind of let it lax, uh, versus mm-hmm. when it's in a famine cycle and, you know, you're really kind of counting every penny, uh, So this is something that I honestly need to get better about when I'm in a feast cycle of making sure that I'm being diligent about where money is going and how it's being spent. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that said, I, I feel like I, you know, don't have a huge problem just because I kind of don't tend to be real extravagant and, you know, uh, loose with money. You know, I kind of, on an ongoing basis, try to be careful about where I'm spending Mm -hmm. it and whether I'm, you know, spinning up a new monthly spend on something. Uh, Mm Um, but I definitely don't, don't keep as close an eye on that as I probably should. So that's, that's something I'll try to do better at in 2019.
1: It sounds like, I mean, you've got a healthy start to it. I think back five years for myself when it was like, I have a bank account over there. The balance I think is positive. Maybe. We'll see. And (laughs) and honestly, like just having like any sort of tracking saying like, "Okay, I'm in Feast. OK, I'm in a good position. I don't need to worry about it. That's honestly fine. Just having that sort of first level check. Yeah, okay, things are headed up into the right or things are stable. I'm not going to worry about this anymore.
0: Yeah. Um, And, you know, so kind of related to this uh, and is a thing that I think would be helpful for people is, when you're in a feasting cycle having ways to sock back money and to mm. you know start a retirement plan or a savings plan or something so that you know when the next famine cycle does come around it's not as big of a hit uh, and what I've been doing for that is uh, have an IRA that I contribute to every year uh, do the max contribution uh, I forget if if it's a Roth or a SEP that I have, um, but it's whichever one allows the employer, which is my company, Octolabs, uh, to make a, a matching payment. Uh, so I do the maximum, you know, employee contribution, and then there's an employer match portion of it that I want to say is twelve or thirteen thousand dollars a year is kind of the total of what I can get in there, uh, and that's what it's before tax on an IRA? Is that right? I believe so,
1: but uh, I'm about as far from an accountant or somebody to give accounting advice as you could get.
3: It depends on what type of IRA. There are pre and post tax IRAs. I forget which is which. I want to say the Roth is a pre tax IRA and then there's a standard IRA, but somebody may well weigh in and tell me I'm wrong about that.
0: Yeah, I I can't say that I remember the details. I basically talked to my accountant and CPA and you know, got some advice from him and then he set it up for me and then it's pretty much automated. I go in once a year and make the I think they call it making an election to mm-hmm. to set up those contributions. Uh but you know, it takes very little time. I spend maybe fifteen minutes a year on Saying, "Yep, I want to do the max contribution." Thanks, and then they send me statements saying, "All right, your investments are growing, or not lately." Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I well, like it. I, I yeah. What do you? So, what do you guys do for kind of retirement and savings plans?
3: Well, I, um, so for me, I I actually this is kind of unique. It's it's not um, something I can easily give advice on, but I stumbled into this situation where I subcontracted for a company that for contractual reasons um, had to W2 me even though I was behaving as a contractor. And I wound up in a situation where they let me contribute to a 401k, so I just did that, um, that was 2014, 2015. Uh, since then, um, I kicked money into a non-pre-tax IRA and then more recently my, my agency had subscribed now has a corporate 401k that Uh, we contribute to so I guess that is to say I've been very opportunistic about doing (laughs) retirement savings where I can over the last few years
1: I like it. Uh, For me personally, I just use Betterment, uh, uh, and I always forget how they spell it, Uh, B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T. They label themselves as the smart, modern way to invest. I basically have a Roth IRA set up through them, and I do max contribution uh, uh, through the year, or if it hasn't been a great year, I'll do partial contribution. Basically, I always want to make sure that I'm contributing something each month to it, even if it's like I'm just putting $20 into it, so I keep that habit going. and so if it's a famine cycle, I might be contributing a lower amount, but I'm still building that habit. And if it's a fee cycle, great. I'm going to max out the contribution to that and then move on to another investment avenue to sort of secure that feast money. So Betterment for me into a uh, Roth IRA.
3: Yeah, I like Betterment. There's um, a company that used them once. I, I I can't place it, but I have some experience logging in and using their site.
1: Yeah, I've enjoyed the experience. Uh, uh, it's it's definitely been been an easy way to invest, let's put it that way. I was able to log in and within 15 minutes be like, yep, have my IRA set up, great, checked it off the list, don't need to worry about it.
0: Yeah, and it's it's worth mentioning that just due to the nature of interest and compounding interest, that this is the kind of thing that is really worth it to start as early as you can, even if you're not mm-hmm. making giant contributions. Uh, you know, I I got into you know, deliberate savings and retirement planning very late. I spent, I don't know, maybe a decade on the idea that, hey, one of these days I'm going to hit it big, and then all this is going to be taken care of, and I don't really need to have an incremental stepwise plan, Um, and that's really a dumb way to do it. I wouldn't recommend doing that. You know, even if you still plan to hit it big, it's, it's worth it to start making a plan early and take incremental steps to it. And then over the years, that money is going to grow and, you know, will allow you to do potentially other things. Um, but it's, you know, kind of like they say with the tree, like when's the best time to plant a tree 10 years ago, when's the next best time to plant a tree today. Uh, <laughs> and so, yep. you know, retirement savings and just savings in general is kind of the same kind of thing. The best time to start is 10 years ago, but, If you can't do that, then today is the next best time that you can start.
1: It honestly is. You are 100, 1,000% right in that, my friend.
3: Yeah, I remember being struck. Uh, My dad, who uh, spent all his life in finance, eventually CFO, he explained to me when I was in college, he said, and he showed me like a spreadsheet with compound interest, said, if you start today and you just put $50 a month into a retirement fund, you will retire, I believe it was a multi just $50 a month starting at 20 or whatever. And mm-hmm. that was a pretty powerful influence on my personal savings habits over the years.
1: Yeah. Completely agreed. For any young freelancers in the audience, start doing this. We unanimous, unanimously encourage you to do this. Just start socking away a tiny bit each month and build that
0: habit. Yeah. Learn from our mistakes. <laughs> or my <laughs> mistakes, anyway. I didn't do it, and I wish I had. <laughs>
1: Oh, I think I'm in year three of contributing to an IRA. So I am yeah. right there with you saying, wait, yeah. wait, wait. I could have started when I was 20. Yeah, Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Uh but planted the tree. You brought up a, a great, great, great uh, uh, topic that I loved uh, before the call on the pre-call on being deliberate and taking time off. Do you want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that as a jumping off point?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, that's something that is also kind of relatively new to me in the last couple of years, Uh, You know, I spent a lot of years working 60 hours a week plus, uh, just kind of on the, you know, I I thought that was part of my, I'm going to hit it big plan is I've got to put in all this time at work. uh, And in the last few years, I've gotten a lot more deliberate about saying, okay, you know, client work is going to take up at max 40 hours a week. And you know, this year I've even I've even gotten better at saying it's going to take up less than that so that I have other quote-unquote business time, uh, you know, to work on things that are not exactly client work, like, you know, some of my own marketing, some of my own products uh, that I have out there, Shopify apps and Remark and stuff like that. Um, and so I've been very deliberate about, okay, don't work all the time and then take that extra time and do fun stuff with it for me this year that's been doing a lot of music stuff i spend a good amount of time in my studio either just messing around you know not doing anything in particular just doing music stuff because it's fun um and then sometimes you know being a little bit more deliberate trying to record uh get things out um all that kind of stuff spend time with my wife uh you know take vacations um all that sort of stuff and it it's what I call my personal sanity plan of where mm. I need to do these things in order to keep myself operating efficiently so that my business can be productive and so that I can you know kind of get that flywheel spinning where as I'm in business longer uh I'm able to do things that are that provide higher value for clients which allow me to charge more or allow me to build these products and services that I'm going to be offering on my own that kind of give me more leverage in earning money in ways that aren't just trading hours for dollars.
1: hmm I love that approach, uh, uh, and I think you're absolutely right. Like, It's a small, incremental process. You start by saying, like, hey, my boundary is 40 hours a week max, and then you start dialing it back to saying, hey, you know what, 35 hours a week max, or you know what, I don't work Fridays anymore, and I've always referred to it as buying back your time, mm-hmm. and then you're able to spend it on what you want, be it personal projects, personal business projects, or hey, I'm just going to have fun and play and let myself recharge. That, I think, is so, so important. For me, uh, uh, one thing that's played deeply into my own personal sanity plan has been starting and continuing a meditation habit this year. I've always tried it, got two days into it, and then just sucked at it. And a strong call out for the app Calm. It's been a wonderful, wonderful way to maintain that habit for me. Uh, I mean, I agree with everything Jeremy said in terms of being deliberate and taking time off. Your body and your brain are the two most important resources you have as a business owner, especially as an independent business owner. And so if you're just grinding yourself out, using yourself as a workhorse, so to speak, it's going to cost you in the long run. You need to give yourself time off, you need to give yourself time to recharge, and you need to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to set it up so I'm working on more highly leveraged things over time. I love the way you're approaching it, my man.
0: Thank you.
3: Eric, how about yourself? Well, I guess historically, personal sanity time is something I've tended to be bad at, so I'm trying to get better. For a lot of years I would you know, consult 40 hours a week and I was doing a lot of traveling, so then there's not a lot to do at the hotel at night, so you come back, just work some more. Um, and even before I went off on my own full time, I would like moonlight. So a lot of years in of probably working too much and getting to a steady state with that, and it's been hard to get away from it, but I'm trying to because I'm realizing notwithstanding that you want to kind of live your life and enjoy because you're not going to, you know, get your prime years back. So that's a motivator. But I'm realizing that um, doing that doesn't, you know, it's not scalable in the way that you might think it is when you first start doing it. Like, well, there's a little more revenue to be had or, mm-hmm. you know, I can keep one or two extra clients over the course of the year, but you wind up at this local maximum Where, you know, it it starts to feel like a work harder and not smarter thing. Um, And I find that taking, you know, coming up for air in small ways can give me a completely new way of looking at a problem and can help me start to figure out, I guess, how to delegate or, you know, what I can eliminate from what I'm doing. Um, So it's been kind of a journey for me to, to, to get anything that's solid in place, but I've done that over the last couple of years. So now I look at you know very seriously taking, um, for instance, a vacation a week or two off here and there. And I reason mm-hmm. that if I can't do that, then there's something wrong with my business and business interests. Like it's not just money or what's going on with clients, but if I'm unable to unplug for a week, then I'm not really building the kind of life I want. So I'm trying to bake insanity checks like that. Or if I'm working all weekend, you know, that's a warning sign. That's not a a badge of honor. Um, So I'm trying to think of more tactical things I've been doing. I'm trying to cap the, you know, the amount of time I spend each week. Uh, trying not to let things encroach on my weekends as much. Um, And doing small things, like if I find myself stressed out, going out for a jog. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, even if I have stuff I ought to be doing, just to take that half hour, 40 minutes and... Um, It it makes a pretty big difference, um, especially something like a vacation. You can go from having burnout you don't even realize you have to coming back really refreshed and excited about the work that you're doing.
1: I like it. One of the things that's always been challenging for me, especially when I start to dial back time, like time I'm spending on business or time I'm spending on client projects is I face sort of the void of like, okay, I have all this time. What do I do with it now? And one thing that's been very useful for me over the last two years is just saying, like, okay, if the challenge is I don't know what to do to fill the time, well, hey, activity number one gets to be, what does Kai want to do with this time? What would I enjoy Mm. doing with this time? And there's honestly a fun bit of personal development and personal growth in just saying, like, what are the things that, you know, at this age I enjoy doing or that I used to enjoy and would like to try again? And that, that could springboard to, like, oh, man, I used to do this thing in my teens. Let's try that hobby again. So. For anyone out there who faces a similar challenge, revisit things you used to do or explore a first activity of, well, what are the things I could enjoy doing? And then start playing with them.
3: Yeah, and that makes me think, too. I think there's an important idea baked in there, like, that joy is okay. And on the flip side, if you're starting a hustle or whatever it is you're doing, you don't need to feel guilt if you're not working all the time. That's Mm -hmm. not sustainable. It's It's not something to be proud of to work all the time and if you're sitting there and it's 9 p.m. and you're thinking to yourself, well, I could do this, that, and the other to improve my business. If you're not and you just want to do something enjoyable, not only is that okay, but you're going to be better off when you are focused on your business for doing it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I agree with that 100 percent and you know, I think that kind of goes back to something that you mentioned a little bit earlier, Eric, uh, about when you have taken time and kind of come up for air, it allows you to see kind of new opportunities and maybe different ways of approaching problems that you had been kind of grinding on. And I've definitely found that to be true myself, that uh, when I deliberately give myself time to not just grind and grind and grind, that is when I have, you know, been able to find new ideas for a a new product to try to build or you know, a new service that I could offer to my clients, Um, and it's, to me, it feels very counterintuitive that it should work that way. It, you know, intuitively, I feel like it should work that the more time I spend in something, the more I am going to be familiar with it and be able to find the nuances in it, and it's really kind of the opposite of that. I mean, not necessarily the opposite of that, but there's a, there's a point of uh, diminishing returns there, and taking time away definitely does allow me to find new approaches and new things. And it's worth it just for that.
1: I love, yeah. love, love that insight. And you're right. It is almost paradoxical. Like the way to figure out the next step, will stop thinking about that next step. Stop thinking about that thing. Give yourself time away from it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be able to see what to do.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably because the grind isn't really creative. It's more like an endurance race. So yeah. when you pull out of that, that's when you're, your, your brain can kind of daydream and kick in and you know you have those shower moments or whatever you want to call them yep so in
1: terms of uh, uh marketing your business or thing things to focus on consistently in the new year in 2019 to help grow your business one thing that i'd love to suggest to the listeners and bring to the table is just talking to people in your market and these don't have to be elaborate market research conversations these don't have to be sales conversations or pitch conversations i honestly think if everyone listening to this podcast just said you know what every week I'm going to take one person in my target market or in my industry or in you know the the thing that I do out for coffee and have a 20-minute conversation with them countless opportunities would open up because you're telling more people what you do you're learning more about the problems they face you're learning more about what they buy and who they buy from so I really recommend just talking to people in your market and then listening and hearing what they have to say
3: yep I agree with that wholeheartedly um, It's funny you should say that, actually, because for the content agency, um, sales, outreach, marketing all kind of falls under um, what I'm doing for the business. And I've gotten in the habit of doing some forms of outreach, you know, to prospective clients, but just to keep in touch with people in or around the industry that I, you know, old friends. you know, old colleagues, things of that nature, where I'm just mm-hmm. reaching out to say hello, what's going on, what are you up to? I think there's a real, uh, uh, there's a lot of value to reaching out to people when you don't necessarily need or want something from them. Mm-hmm. Versus if you're always reaching out when, hey, um, you know, I've launched this new line of business and I could really use some work, and and that's the way you're always approaching people. You kind of have this ledger or capital that's on the bad balance side where you're always asking favors without granting any. Um, Mm -hmm. So I like to think about just keeping in touch with people or even reaching out to them and saying, Hey, I have a thing that I, you know, think might interest you or that could help you. You know, I'm not asking for anything in return. It's just nice to stay in touch. Um, So 100% and the, the things that tend to come out of these conversations um, are often like really valuable. I mean, like literally leads, actual business, Where somebody says, hey, I know a person that that could use exactly what you're doing. So I didn't start out the conversation necessarily even hoping for that outcome, but it just happens. Um, So that's hugely valuable.
1: Yeah, I had an experience that almost exactly mirrors that. I was having what for me was a market research conversation with a friend in Portland. And at the end of the I was asking questions like, you know, are you marketing in this way? Are you capturing emails? Do you have a course? And I was like, "Okay, great. I have so much more information. This will help me. And he was like, how do I pay you to help me solve these problems? And I was like, what? And he was like, no, we just spent like 30 minutes describing everything I'm not doing and should be doing can you please fix this for me? And we ended up working together for a year. I think those sort of experiences come out of just talking to more people. And again, I didn't even approach it as a sales conversation. It was me saying like, do you do email marketing? You don't. What's that like? Why haven't you done it? And it just led to a, a, a client engagement.
3: Nice. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I've, I've had similar experiences myself, so I can definitely relate.
0: Mm hmm. Uh,
1: uh, and Jeremy, how about for you anything uh uh that comes to mind on talking to people in your market?
0: Um I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely worth doing. I I highly recommend it. Uh you know, one of the ways that I do that is uh attending conferences. Uh, mm. That's a great way to you know, I, and I find that it kind of also contributes to uh my taking of time off like you know, when I'm out at a conference, yeah, it's technically a business trip, and I'm doing business things, but I usually am able to, you know, structure the, that time away in a way that it really feels almost like a vacation, but, you know, maybe a business vacation, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Uh, and so it's it's enjoyable, to get to meet people, um, you know, like like you say, just making and having those relationships uh, outside of any transactions that are taking place is really what, you know, networking is about. And that,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and that's about having a network in place so that when somebody else has a transaction that they need to make, that maybe you're top of mind for somebody that can help them with that. Or when you're looking and, you know, need some help, uh, having people that you can turn to that, uh, You have kind of a reserve of goodwill built up with uh, where they're going to want to help you.
1: Strongly agreed. Strongly agreed. I love the tactical point about conferences, uh, uh, both in relation to the personal sanity plan and in helping you talk to people in your market. I think it's so valuable. Like we have so many digital relationships these days going to a conference or an event like that and actually being able to say like, oh, hey, it's been great knowing you online for two years. Now we could actually see each other face to face in the flesh. That That is such a powerful trust builder and such a powerful way just to build a more authentic and more human connection with people you know.
0: Yeah, there really is. And there's a, you know, as much as I love online life and all that, there is definitely something to be said for sitting down with somebody face to face and sharing a meal or having a coffee Mm -hmm. or a beer uh, uh, that you just really can't do online.
1: Mm -hmm. You could send them a Starbucks gift card, but it only only gets you a couple percentage points there. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not the same. Not the same.
1: Sort of hand-in-hand with talking to people in your market, one thing that I'm definitely uh, uh, frequent with speaking out about is following up with past clients. I don't think... We as freelancers or consultants do this often enough and it's really the same playbook. It doesn't have to be a salesy outreach. It could just be saying like, hey, you know, six months ago it was great to work with you on that FizzBuzz project. How's business going? What what are you focused on these days? Keeping that relationship and that communication open. How do you two approach this?
0: Poorly. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't do nearly as good a job on that as I should. Uh, And, you know, and I've even had, past clients in the last year or two that have luckily reached out to me and you know said hey you've you did good work for us and, and these are people that have kind of moved jobs and you know hey i know that when you were working with us at company x you know you did a, a lot of great work and now i'm at company y and we need we need something similar uh can you come help um mm-hmm. you know and that's just great when that happens um and i should do more to stay in touch with people so that it's more likely that that does happen.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, so this is an interesting one for me um, because historically when I was just doing um, consulting, management, strategy consulting, I didn't do much because I was often too busy. I mean, sometimes I'd make a little bit of good faith uh, outreach just to check in see how things were going, not necessarily looking for any repeat business, Um, but it was pretty sporadic when it would occur to me running this agency, we depend um, pretty heavily on recurring revenue with all the clients. So this has led to some interesting things. Number one, um, once we hired somebody to do account management for us, uh, we schedule regular checking calls with existing clients that we're currently doing business with, just to ask them how it's going, if there's anything we can help with, and so on and so forth. That led to a pretty significant uptick in revenue alone. Just because people have very much of a sense of, oh, hey, as long as I'm talking to you, here's this thing that I've been trying to get done but haven't been able to that maybe you can help me with. And so I started to apply the same kind of principle to going back and reaching out to, you know, uh, lapsed clients, let's say that, um, you know, had not had budget or for whatever reason we had moved away from doing work for them. And often that was successful too, just to reach back out and say, hey, how's it going? Same kind of reaction oftentimes was, oh, um, I'm glad you reached out. We could actually use help with X. And so that's caused me to put some systems into place to um, use uh, CRM. And I'm still growing in my ability to do this. It's relatively new. But to do things like monitor who is somebody that likes us at a client um, but that moves jobs, like to keep an eye out for Mm. things like that is an excuse to reach back out because what I've discovered is Anybody you've done business with in the past that has been happy with it is, you know, an order of magnitude more likely to give you future business than some uh, person you've never encountered before. So, looking ahead to 2019, absolutely, I would say not only reach out to um, uh, people that you've done business with in the past, but but set up a system for it. You know, I'm going to check in with people every X amount of time. Here's how I'm going to keep track of who I've checked in with to make sure I'm, uh, you know, keeping the contact warm without bothering them that sort of thing mm-hmm. so I'm a huge advocate of this and i've had a lot of success with it over the last year
1: i love the way you broke that down that that is an excellent excellent uh, uh, uh summary for anybody that wants to start approaching this for uh, i'm curious what do you use for a crm
3: um i can throw this out there in the pics too but i've been using hubspot which is free and it's pretty good um awesome it, well, it's so it's a really, like, slick interface. I think what I have to learn is more, like, automation internally within it. But that's not in any way kind of a knock on the tool. I just haven't had time to really teach myself.
1: I use uh, Pipedrive myself. Uh, not free. It's paid, uh, uh, I think, around the $30 price point. And I really, really, really enjoy it. Uh, uh, honestly, any CRM, like, going from... It's in the inbox. To okay, I have a specific tool to monitor deal flow, to monitor these contacts, to make sure I'm following up with people. That is a small step you could take that will have outsized impacts on your business for the entire future. Honestly,
3: is the, uh, is that one? There's like a CRM that integrates really nicely with Gmail. Is that the one I'm thinking? Uh, yeah. About, right?
1: It has a really, really slick Gmail integration uh, uh, where it could either suck everything into a a mail view within Pipedrive or just uh, certain labels or only emails you send to a custom VCC address. So there's a really, really slick Gmail integration with it. And they just released a Gmail Chrome plugin that adds some new features. So I've really, really enjoyed it as a user over the past year or so. It feels like it evolved from version two to version four without me even seeing version three nice yeah uh, uh so should we talk a little bit about positioning i mean that's an evergreen topic that i always think needs uh, some attention and love paid to it yeah so one of the things that i recommend for people is just jumping into the positioning pool if they can with a tiny test of positioning uh, uh and that might be just saying going from saying like I'm a developer too. I'm a developer who specializes in X language. And then seeing how people react to it. Uh, uh, Positioning and picking a target market, I think feels like a very scary activity for people that you are committing to this path, almost like the skill tree or this uh, character path in an adventure game for the rest of your life. (laughs) When in reality, Yeah, it's a small marketing activity. It's saying like, hey, you know, if I say I advertise what I do in this way, how do people respond to it? So I highly encourage listeners test their positioning, just add a little bit of specificity to it, shrink down the focus of who you work with and see how people respond to it as you follow up with past clients, as you talk to people in your market and then integrate that feedback oh hey i still don't understand what you do go back to the drawing board oh hey wow i can think of three people i need to introduce you to today okay you have a decent start of a positioning statement keep on iterating forward how how have you two approached i guess the start of positioning or refining positioning in 2018 and what do you see yourselves doing in
3: 2019 um so for me i'm trying to think historically it's always been sort of organic and i think um It's often been in, so part and parcel with that, I think, is figuring out who ideal buyers are, like who are clients that I like to work with, why do I like working with them, and what am I doing? And once I start to um, have a good sense of that, it's kind of easier to almost by default uh, adjust your positioning accordingly in response to like, okay, well, how do I work with more clients of this nature? So, um I don't do as much of this because the content business is so um, has been so fruitful over the last year, but um, I have a consulting practice where I do like specialized code base assessments. and I'm trying to think how that just kind of happened over the years. and it was because I liked that work and because um, I would get you know pretty lucrative deals uh, when it came to doing stuff like helping um, CIO or director level people in the enterprise figure out things about their code bases. Once I started to realize I enjoyed doing that, then the positioning, you know, who I was targeting and and how I um, teed myself up in conversations kind of followed naturally. So my experience has been um, that if you start to look at and kind of rank your clients, um, and I actually have been reading this book called the, I'm going to get the name of it wrong, but it's like the Pumpkin Patch Entrepreneur is an audio book. He has a, an actual like spreadsheet for breaking down ways to like rank what you do and don't like about your clients um kind of cross reference with revenue and so if you do something very deliberate like that and you figure out who your ideal buyers are, I think that can inform a lot of your positioning just in the sense of like all right well how do i how do I position
0: myself if I want to get more buyers like this?
1: I love that approach, Jeremy, how about you
0: uh so this is another area that I haven't done as good of a job as I maybe would like to, um, but that's partially just because I've been in a feast cycle and so it hasn't felt all that necessary. Uh, You know, I've had a lot of work just kind of coming my way and keeping me busy. uh, So I haven't had to, you know, really try to nail down a a really tight niche. Um, I think I've sort of done a little bit of it, I guess what you might call internal positioning where Mm -hmm. I've gotten better at kind of winnowing out prospects that I can just tell aren't going to be a good fit for what I like to do and how I like to work. Uh, But I haven't necessarily kind of advertised that criteria in a way that would be visible to prospects, which is really Mm -hmm. what positioning is. Um, Mm. But... You know, I've, I've kind of taken a, a couple of stabs at positioning over the years. And just one thing that I want to say kind of to go back to what you opened this topic with, Kai, is that, you know, it can feel very scary if you're approaching it with the mindset of I am now this new thing. And it was a lot easier for me to be comfortable with it when I thought of it as I now offer this new thing. And Ooh. it's not that I'm changing my identity and what I do. I'm just I just have a new offering that is phrased and worded in a very specific way to appeal to a specific audience or buyer or whatever. Um, and so that distinction for me helps a lot with the fear, you know, that that Philip Morgan talks about in the positioning manual, uh, which everybody has and is very natural.
3: Uh, hmm. I, I, love
1: I that. Yeah, that is a beautiful way to approach it. Since you're right, you could keep everything else generalist and say, yeah, you know, I do X for people who need it. This offering is very, very, very specifically positioned on industry or market or software or what have you and slowly expand the positioning that way. That's a great way to approach it. I also love your reference to internal positioning and I think that's a great way to think of positioning almost as a filter. And right now you have the filter sort of, hidden from the clients, it's after they apply, after they talk with you, do I wanna work with them? And one thing in the future is moving that filter forward a bit so they encounter that filter as they apply, as they're evaluating you and saying, do I wanna work with Jeremy? Yep, yep. Very cool.
3: Yeah, I like the, the concept of internal positioning because if I think of my own experience, that to me strikes me as the first step where you start to realize not all clients are created equal and not all people should be clients. Mm-hmm and then you start to think well okay how do i separate um the signal from the noise and so it seems like there's a logical progression once you've gotten pretty good at that separation then you can start to look externally and say okay how do i short circuit this even more and make sure that my positioning and the marketing that i do around it um are bringing me the sort of buyers that i want and maybe kind of shunting out the ones that i don't
0: yep exactly it's about kind of finding the similarities in clients that you like, and then finding ways that you can purposefully attract more prospects that are like those clients. Beautifully phrased.
1: Oh, I'm loving this conversation. This has been a good one.
0: Yeah. Um, What else? What else are, are, were you going to be working on this year? Uh, For me, honestly, like I,
1: it's sort of a meta skill, but it's, taking consistent action when like, a life event or a move or something comes up and throws me off, it's really, really easy for me to say, like, ah, oh, you know, like that habit that I was working on, following up with past clients or doing market research or making sure I'm focusing on self care or personal sanity, it's easy for it to get thrown to the wind. So, mm-hmm. one thing sort of at that meta level I'm focusing on is saying, like, okay, am I f- continuing to focus on these habits? In a way, it's almost like, hey, do I have a monitoring system set up to check to make sure I'm doing the things I need to do to grow my business or to make sure I'm enjoying my business?
3: Yeah, I can throw something kind of related out there, which I had a lot of luck with this in 2018. So doing it again for 2019, which is it's kind of one thing to say, like, well, I'm going to reach out to a bunch of people. Um, I'm going to try to get new business. I'm going to try to increase my revenue. But the exercise with our agency, is, I said, what would we like to be true? Um, You know, we want to hire a full-time person to do the finances we want. So I went through kind of a sequence of activities and then roughly figured out like a a sequence of things we wanted to be true about the business. Figured out what our monthly revenue would need to be in order to make that happen and then said, okay, here's our goal. Now this is different from the corporate goal, the typical kind of thing of uh, let's grow by 20% a year or whatever people say. This is more of like a lifestyle design version of it but applied to business where, you know, what do we want our work life to be like? let's work toward that. And then from there I kind of reverse engineered what sort of outreach I would need to do based on like ballpark conversions. So it's to kind of give a purpose to the activities that otherwise might just seem like kind of treadmill activities. So like to be specific about it, if it's like I'm going to, I need this amount of incremental monthly revenue to do that. I need to sell, you know, four more extra plans over the year. And for each plan I sell, I'm going to have to reach out to 20 people. So I know that I have to reach out to 80 people over the year and that's one and a half a week. And suddenly instead of being some kind of miscellaneous slog that's going to be, you know, subject to you getting tired of doing it, it's like a specific um, achievable habit that you build for yourself. So I guess I um, I, I would say, you know, figure out some goals and not just goals for the sake of goals, but like um, it's almost gamifying the growth of your own business.
1: I've always seen that or approached that as uh, activity-based selling, described in the exact same way that you're describing it here, focusing on those leading indicators to achieve those outcomes or are searching for. Hey, we want our business to look this way. We need revenue to be this way. Okay, to get to that revenue, how many proposals do I need to send out? How many meetings do I need for those proposals? How many emails do I need to send for those meetings? And it, you're absolutely right. It lets you break down what could be a squishy goal, grow by 20%, into, okay, to add these three things to the business, hire this person, buy this thing, do this other thing, we need to hit these specific monthly targets. And you're right, it gives purpose where before it's sort of purposelessness.
3: Yeah, activity-based selling, I like that. That's a good term for it. It's it's kind of like selling for engineers, you know. <laughs> Here's an actual yeah. thing I can break down and I can execute these tasks. <laughs>
1: I have reached out to three people, check. Okay, done for the week, I don't need to worry about it. You at least know there's a system at that point. Yep. Oh, I love that i i I keep coming back to it. I jotted it down into my notes that focus on what you'd like to be true and using that to sort of define define growth for your business overall. I think that is a really, really powerful takeaway for anybody listening because for every one of us and for every listener, what growth in our business looks like is completely different. Like my goal for growing in twenty nineteen is different than Jeremy's is different than Eric's is different than Jonathan's is different than any listeners out there, and so Figuring out what you would like to be true in your own business—that seems like such an essential and necessary step to take. Otherwise, it's sort of like ah, I'm going to do these things and see what happens.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a very important point that I think is probably even worth uh, diving into a little bit. The point about growth being different for everyone, and that you know when we say growth, that doesn't necessarily mean made more money or hired more people or did more work you know it it could be hey we made the same money that we did last year but we spent 20% less time doing it or mm-hmm. you know it it could be anything and and i think it's also fair to say that you know you don't have to grow it, you know if you mm-hmm. get stuff if you get your business to a place that it is you know meeting all your monthly requirements for money allowing you to put money away to save for retirement, uh, you know, allowing you to have time off to do things that you like, allowing you to spend time with your family, you know, all these kind of things, I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, hey, my business is in a great place and my goal for this year is to maintain what I've been doing. Uh, There's kind of a a stigma, or stigma is not the right word, but, you know, in, in society there's kind of a, you've always got to be growing sort of attitude that, I don't think is always helpful Uh, and so I think it's worth saying you know you don't have to buy into that
3: that's a great point I I think that there's certainly I I think of myself as more of a lifestyle designer so for me in 2018 the growth was the business was kind of a means to an end Uh, one of my goals was to hire people to do things that I don't care for doing (laughs) and we achieved that and I'm a lot happier for it
1: (laughs) Yeah, that is a strong and super super important message, Jeremy, and I strongly agree with it. Like if you reach a point where your business is doing what it's supposed to do and you're happy and you're able to like slowly step back from non-essential activities even without hiring people just like automating it or delegating it or just not doing it anymore, you've won in a sense. Like you have built the business you wanted to that point. You could always come back to it and build it more, but it's perfectly appropriate to say, hey, this is going to going great. Let me focus on my hobbies, my family, my relationships, my whatever it is that interests me because this doesn't have to be an endless machine that I just pour my energy into. It's working now. I could step away from it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the DHH book that came out recently that I, uh, the name escapes me, but I listened to it as an audio book. It doesn't have to be crazy at work and just his whole kind of attitude on social media and everywhere talking about, um, you know, that, that you don't, to be a hustler, you don't have to be the sort that burns yourself out and works 90 hour weeks and, and whatever is sort of touted that like, it's a perfectly reasonable goal to be an entrepreneur, to be a business owner, a freelancer that has, you know, a nice life.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And kind of along that, along those lines, I'm looking forward to, uh, Paul Jarvis's book that's coming out soon, Company of One, uh, which I think, from what I've been able to tell from pre-sales material, is gonna talk a lot about exactly that kind of thing of, you know, building a small but sustainable and profitable business that can help you design the life that you wanna live on a day-to-day basis.
1: I'm super excited for Paul's book to release. I'm I'm really, really excited for this one. It looks like it's gonna be a great book. Yeah, it does. Should we move into uh, wrap-ups and picks? Sounds good. Yeah. So my number one pick, and uh, this coordinates with a, a 30-day meditation challenge I've been running for my list. I've been loving meditation the last couple of months. It's this app called Calm, and they have the wonderful domain calm.com. Uh, it's the one thing that actually got me to develop a consistent meditation habit. and. I did not realize how important meditation was for my own self-care until I actually started doing it. And now when I get a stressful email or I hit a point where I'm just like, ah, I don't know what to do. Meditation has given me a habit to be able to pause and mindfully say, okay, I don't need to freak out or react to this at the moment. Let me, you know, approach it mindfully. So strong, strong, strong recommendation for Calm. Calm Calm.com if you're looking to develop or continue a meditation or mindfulness practice. Cool.
0: Uh, anything else? Uh, that's about it for my picks. Okay. Uh, Eric?
3: Sure, I'll, um, I'll throw out two things that I touched on during the course of our conversation, since they're relevant. Uh, the first one I said earlier I'd include as a pick, which is the HubSpot CRM, so I'll toss in a link specifically to that. Free to get started, worth checking out, and I will say that if you are not in any way keeping track of your clients or maybe just throwing them into a spreadsheet, it's worth getting started with and just kind of introducing yourself to the idea that it's more than just a list in your contacts that you do want to be having a next action with people that you are, uh, that are business contacts of yours, even if it's just reaching out every now and then. So HubSpot, CRM, and then the second one is, um, I'll throw a pick for it. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. It was um, a fairly short, you know, fun book to listen to that has a lot of good ideas in it, um, that there is an alternative to the uh endless slog i guess of what i'll think of as kind of the silicon valley hustle of you know until you're 50 working 90 hours a week or whatever um there's a lot of cool ideas in there about philosophically how they built Basecamp and made business decisions that emphasized having a good work-life balance so it's it's interesting to listen to and uh, that's it for me
0: nice uh, so I'm going to pick uh, Bench.co, which I mentioned earlier, is a service that I use for bookkeeping. Um, for my personal sanity plan, something that I've been using a lot lately is a, a service called Splice, which is uh, for music collaboration via the internet. Uh, I've been using this recently to collaborate with a friend that I know from conferences, uh, and she kind of will start a a new song that we're gonna work on recording, get something going, and then can upload it to Splice, and then I can download it and work on it. Uh, It's really, really fun, have been having a good time using that. Uh, And then I'll also just mention the two books that I mentioned earlier. Uh, The Positioning Manual for Technical Firms by Philip Morgan uh, is really good if you're struggling to figure out how positioning works and how you might do it. Uh, And then Company of One by Paul Jarvis, which is coming out, I believe in January. Uh, but there will be links to those in the show notes. So uh, unless anybody else has something to close with, I believe that does it for today. This was a great
1: one. Uh, uh, I know I definitely have a lot of takeaways just in terms of you know my own personal sanity plan and figuring out how to consistently follow up with people. And I hope listeners do too.
0: Me too. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, Kai and Eric.
2: And uh, we will see you next time on The Freelancer Show.